What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you from Boulder, Colorado, on Wednesday, July 26, 2017. Hope you all are enjoying all of the new podcasts that we are putting out here on the Hangout in the Holy Land, and make sure to go to SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts by searching The Hangout in the Holy Land. If you haven't already, make sure to go check out the last episode we dropped where I talked with Land Grant Holy Land's own Matt Brown about his new book, What If? A Closer Look at College Football's Great Questions. It's an awesome read. I read through it once already. I'm going to read through it again. But it's a great look at some of the best what-if questions in college football history. There's a lot of Ohio State stuff in there that... We talked about in the episode, including the 2007 season and the West Virginia Pitt game and how if that goes a different way, then the course of Ohio State history has changed. So make sure to go check out that episode and also go buy Matt's book because it's awesome. It's called What If? A Closer Look at College Football's Great Questions. For this episode of the podcast, though, we are getting back into our opponent preview series. This will be the third installment, already done Indiana and Army. Go check those out in the archives. And now it's time for the big fish of non-conference play, and that's the Oklahoma Sooners. So to talk everything OU and break down a little bit of the matchup between them and Ohio State in week two, I'm joined by the managing editor of SB Nation's Oklahoma blog, Crimson and Cream Machine, Jack Shields. Jack, there's a lot going on in Oklahoma this offseason. Yeah, I've been pretty eventful since the beginning of June. I mean, it's uh, definitely something I haven't dealt with as a, a site manager before, but it's been fun. You and I talked for my podcast in early June before Bob Stoops stepped down, and that had to be a huge shocker. Lincoln Riley comes in. He's taken over the job now. But what was it like to have a head coach that's been around for so long leave abruptly like that? Yeah, exactly. I mean... From a fan's perspective, I mean, Bob Stoops stepping down absolutely floored me and every other Oklahoma fan. I mean, for me, I was I was born in 1989. I'm 28 years old. Bob Stoops took over when I was 10 years old. And so, and before that, you know, we dealt with John Blake and Howard Schnellenberger. And so I, from a personal perspective, I really never had experienced a dominant Oklahoma football program before that. So basically Stoops dominance is all I've ever really known, honestly, like for a, from a fan perspective, I mean, it's been 18 years. So it's, I obviously I'm excited for the Lincoln Riley era, but I mean, it's a little bit bittersweet, obviously. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of nostalgia, but a lot of hope at the same time. What do you think Bob Stoops legacy at Oklahoma is? He is arguably the most important coach in the history of Oklahoma Sooners football because that's saying something. Well, see, because of what I explained earlier, I mean, he brought OU back from the dead. I mean, Oklahoma was terrible before he took over John Blake, you know, his first year, he went three and eight and his third year, he went five and six. I mean, I mean, that's unacceptable at a place like Oklahoma. I mean, the pride was completely shot. You know, I mean, it's, Words cannot express how important Bob Stoops was 
to the state of Oklahoma and the University of Oklahoma and obviously the Oklahoma Sooners football program. It's rare in this era to see a coach at one school for so long and for his tenure to not end awkwardly. Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech and Bobby Bowden at Florida State come to mind, but Stoops kind of gets to leave on his own terms, which has to be nice for Oklahoma fans to not have to deal with that awkwardness that other schools have had to deal with. Exactly. You know, I obviously would have like to see Bob Stoops leave after a national championship, just as kind of vindication for all of the, you know, close losses and, you know, obviously the one blowout loss in the national championship game. But, you know, ever since winning in 2000, he had, you know, he developed kind of a reputation as someone who couldn't really win the big one. So I was kind of hoping he would get a bit of vindication there, but I mean, he definitely did leave on, very positive terms. I mean, so, I mean, beating an SEC team, beating the last, you know, four SEC teams he faced. So, you know, he was talking crap on the SEC for the last five years and backed it up and left, you know, on a high note against the SEC as well. So that's one little legacy for him. But, uh, you know, I think it's definitely pretty much all positive for Bob Stoops. Do the expectations at Oklahoma change now under Lincoln Riley at all? Well, in the immediate future, I mean, I think, the standards for this current squad pretty much stay the same. I think it's a squad that on offense should, despite losing Joe Mixon and Samaje Piran and DD Westbrook should be a well-oiled machine because of the fact that they're bringing back a Baker Mayfield and B five returning starters along the offensive line. So I, you know, it's a team that's should win the big 12 and should make the playoffs still. So, but you know, I, it's it's determined i mean i i'm not really sure how it'll go like i mean we'll have to see how lincoln riley runs a program what he does differently than bob stoops but i think from a recruiting standpoint i think it's kind of a shot in the arm to have lincoln riley here so you know i think we're gonna start seeing a few more top 10 classes more consistently for oklahoma maybe top fives which is something that was sorely needed for oklahoma to get back to the top so you know it could be in the long run, a little bit better, honestly. Riley hasn't been on the job very long, but are there any noticeable differences yet between how he runs the program and how Stoops ran it? Well, one glaring thing is how much he's on Twitter and how much he's... See, every time that Oklahoma is about to land a recruit and he knows about it, he posts the googly eyes emoji. So that's, that's you know, turned into a completely... It's it's turned into a monster, honestly. I mean, he's every time he posts that, you know, he gets probably you know a hundred retweets and stuff like that. So you know, it's that's something that Bob Stoops, I think he tried to do the whole Twitter thing, but you know, Lincoln Riley, he's a lot better at relating to the young kids. I think that's the most glaring difference, honestly. Do you expect that more new age style of recruiting for Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley to result in an uptick? And they're recruiting? Well, honestly, that kind of started happening for Oklahoma about a year ago, like when, uh, or the last couple of years, when Bob Stoops kind of purged his staff a little bit. You know, he brought in Bill Biedenboe and a bunch of young guys like Dennis Simmons, uh, Calvin Thibodeau, guys like that. He he had a pretty young coaching staff before stepping down, with the obvious exception of uh, Mike Stoops, his brother. But um, I think having a young face at the top probably helps a little bit, but I mean, Oklahoma did bring in a top 10 class in 2017 and the young coaches seem to have a lot to do with that. So 
I, I mean, I, I think it'll help a little bit, but you know, I it kind of was already trending in that direction, honestly. Riley hasn't made many changes to the coaching staff as of now, but as we go along to the 2017 season, and depending how it goes, do you expect there to be a shakeup on the staff now that Stoops is no longer there? Well, I mean, he already did bring in Ruffin McNeil after he was hired to kind of take that ninth assistant spot, which is a pretty fantastic decision considering that uh, McNeil was his mentor at East Carolina and Texas Tech. So I think he's kind of kind of help him out with the coaching transition and all that stuff. But uh, outside of Mike Stoops, I mean, everybody else seems pretty set, honestly. It's a, a bunch of young guys who were hired within the last few years. But, you know, for Mike Stoops, his brother's not there to protect him anymore. So, you know, this is kind of an audition year for Mike Stoops. So we'll have to see what happens there. And then come January, they're going to have, you know, as you know, the 10th assistant position uh, that everybody gets at that time. So at that point, I expect them to add a quarterback coach. So other than that, that's that's honestly about it. Moving into how Oklahoma will look on the field this year, let's start with the offense. Of course, quarterback Baker Mayfield, Heisman candidate last year, comes back for his senior season after posting some pretty monster numbers. So they're set at quarterback, but there is a lot of production from last year's offense that is gone. Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan rushed for over 2,300 yards last season with 22 rushing touchdowns. Leading receiver Dede Westbrook had 104 targets, 80 catches, over 1,500 yards, 17 touchdowns, and averaged 19 yards per catch. So what's the outlook like for Oklahoma skill positions now that those top guys are gone? Well, I think the talent is there at both uh, running back and wide receiver, and there's a lot of depth at those positions as well. It's just a matter of who is going to step up. Will there be someone like a D.D. Westbrook in the receiving core who has over 1,500 yards receiving on the year? You know, we might have a situation where there's five different guys who have, you know, 700 yards or something like that instead. You know, it's... It's. I, I think the expectation is that the offense is going to function well because of the quarterback position and the offensive line and the amount of potential at the skill positions, but it's just a matter of whether there's going to be a person at those positions who separates himself and becomes the guy who gets the majority of the touches. I think at running back, a guy like Rodney Anderson is someone who – could potentially take that mantle and, you know, have a 1,500-yard season or something like that. He's someone who, if not for an injury last season, was going to be right in the rotation with uh, Mixon and P. Ryan. So he's one guy to look at at the running back position who could potentially be a guy who carries the load, but there's also a lot of talented depth behind him. So it remains to be seen how much they're going to distribute carries and how much they're going to distribute passes, but I think the offense is going to probably function pretty well, honestly, regardless of whether there's a ball-dominant person. Westbrook was such an incredible deep threat for them last season. He was probably the best big play receiver in the country last year, averaging over 19 yards per catch and over 14 yards per target. How does Oklahoma replace what he brought to them, and is there any other receiver that can take the top off a defense like he was able to, maybe not to the level that he did, but at least still have that threat there. I really do think there are some guys who could be really lethal deep threats. The first guy that comes to mind is Marquise Brown. He's kind of 
in the mold a lot of a lot of the Oklahoma receivers over the past you know five six years. He's you know a little shorter than six feet tall, but he's a big 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 play guy. He's he was the number one JUCO receiver in the country, and he's someone who possesses similar speed to what we saw from Didi Westbrook. So he's one guy who could potentially be a game breaker and a deep threat. Another guy is Jeff Bidette, who was Kentucky's leader in receiving yards last season. And he was known as being a guy who could beat people over the top. So he's someone who could potentially start on the outside for Oklahoma. And also you have the uh, incoming freshman Sedarian Lamb and Charleston Rambo, who both are in like the six, one, six, two range and are both pretty fast and can go up and get a football. So those are guys who could also make some noise on the outside as well. Do you have any stories about offensive lineman Orlando Brown? When we talked for my podcast earlier, we described him as a brick shit house, and he might be the best tackle in the whole country. What stands out about him the most? As far as particular stories are concerned, not too much. Obviously, he's the son of Zeus Brown, who, if you're a lot of the uh, your fans are probably pretty familiar with him being a Cleveland Brown. And I, if I'm not mistaken, he's the one who caught the penalty flag in the eye from the referee. Am I correct in that? Yep, that was him. Yes, yeah. That, so that, I mean, that's one little angle there. But, you know, he's, you know, 6'6", 360. He's definitely one of those first guys off the bus individuals. I mean, he's he's someone who's going to strike fear into opponents. He's just a very, very big man, honestly. And he's... He has a tendency to kind of fly off the handle handle and get personal fouls, and that's the only real complaint about him. But, I mean, if he can get that together and maybe work on his footwork a little bit, he there's no reason he doesn't go in the top 15 of the draft this coming year. We'll get a little more in-depth about the matchup with Ohio State later on in the podcast, but now that we're talking about the offensive line, from an Oklahoma perspective, is that matchup with Ohio State's defensive line the battle that may decide the game in your mind? Yeah, that's that's the most intriguing battle of that matchup. But I, I think from the Oklahoma end of things, I think the biggest concern heading into that game is the front seven of Oklahoma. The defensive line, it, it should be a little bit better, uh, especially moving to a 4-3. But Oklahoma's key in that game, I think, above anything else, is Oklahoma's defensive line being able to get pressure on JT Barrett because they weren't able to last year in the three, four. And obviously the consequences were quite severe. I mean, uh, JT Barrett had all the time in the world to throw and just kind of pick people apart. So I think if Oklahoma can fix that, that's, you know, it's going to be a pretty close game, honestly. Shifting to the OU defense, while there isn't any coaching changes this year for the Sooners, there is a philosophical change as they move to a 4-3 scheme. What kind of impact do you think that'll have on the way that they play? Well, honestly, I think it'll help both in the run game and the passing game. I mean, I I think they were worried about being beaten deep, so that's why they were kind of putting more people at linebacker, but uh or I'm sorry, not deep, but in the intermediate, but uh anyway, I think it'll help a lot with the pass rush. I mean, a lot of times Oklahoma was rushing only their three down linemen on third and long and it was disastrous against Houston and Ohio State so I think that move to the 4-3 is going to help immensely and it's also it's going to provide a a Neville Gallimore with a little more playing time I think he's the type of guy who could be a real game breaker along the defensive line so you know I think that uh it'll really help in the pass rush above anything else which is where it really Oklahoma's defense really needed to improve from a year ago 
You mentioned Gallimore as a player to watch on that defensive line, but who are some other names to look out for as OU revamps their defensive front? Absolutely, and I think another person who's going to help immensely in the running game is Caleb Kelly. He uh, was a five-star recruit coming in in 2016, but didn't really see the field against Ohio State last year, and down the stretch, he proved to be Oklahoma's, probably Oklahoma's best linebacker, especially against the run, so... He's someone who can fly all over the field and chase the ball. So he's, I think, having him in the picture this time around against Ohio State, that's going to be a major factor. Earlier, you brought up how this is almost an audition year for Mike Stoops, a defensive coordinator. And we've seen OU's defense fall off since his first year. In 2012, they were 12th in defensive S&P+, followed by back-to-back 33rd finishes in 2013 and 14, 22nd in 2015, and then they fell all the way down to 55th last year. How big a year is this for Mike Stoops, and if things stay the same or even get worse, is he going to be out pretty quickly now that his brother isn't there to kind of shield him? I think there's a very real possibility of that. I think that Texas Tech game from last year just bruised so many Oklahomans pride honestly I mean it it just it really felt like a loss afterwards you know leaving the bar it was you know it it was was just a it felt somber honestly I mean it was people are used to Oklahoma having great defenses you know under Switzer and uh early in the Stoops era so I mean it's something where even if Oklahoma keeps winning you know 10 plus games I think the defensive struggles are still going to be something that, I mean, it, having a good defense is a real source of pride. And I think if that that isn't shored up, then he's he's going to be gone, honestly. I don't think people are very tolerant of that, honestly. The rivalry between Oklahoma and Texas hasn't been one-sided by any means lately. We've seen the Longhorns win a couple of games, including two years ago under Charlie Strong. But it seems like it's been missing something. And that's probably due to Texas not being where it was in the mid-2000s. But now with Lincoln Riley at the helm for OU and Tom Herman at Texas, feels like the rivalry is flipping to a new page and getting a boost that it hasn't had in a while. Oh, absolutely. And that rivalry really did need a shot in the arm for multiple reasons, honestly. I mean, it's going to help both schools with recruiting. It's going to bring OU and Texas back to the days of those really big recruiting battles in the state of Texas that grab national headlines. Honestly, it's, you know, that that's one of the biggest traditions in the rivalry is those recruiting battles within the state of Texas. I think that's going to really, really ramp up with these two coaches, honestly. And also just the game environment itself. I've been in the stadium the past five years and it's just, it's not what it used to be. I mean, people don't give me the middle finger anymore. People don't curse me out. There's no UT sorority girls calling me fat or anything like that. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's not the same, you know, there's not the same amount of animosity there. And I think that's one of the things that always used to make that rivalry special as well. I mean, I, I kind of miss that honestly. And so it's, I think that's going to return to the fold as well. You'll definitely have to keep me updated if you get the bird from anybody at the game or get some more smack talk from UT sorority girls. Oh, yeah, it'll happen. I mean, it, you know, it, oh, you know, I kind of miss that. So, you know, hopefully it happens this year. Lincoln Riley heads into his first year as not only Oklahoma head coach, but it's his first head coaching job, period. 
So have expectations for them changed this season? Are they still expected to be the best team in the Big 12? Or when you look around that conference, you see that Oklahoma State is bringing back a lot on offense. They're going to be very good again this year. Texas is a bit of a wild card with Tom Herman in his first year as well. And then you look at a program like Kansas State, who is always dangerous and appears to have some pieces to make a run at the Big 12 this year. So is Oklahoma still the favorite? And if they are, is it still playoff or bust for this program? I think this season that is the case, absolutely. I think the only real challenger is Oklahoma State, but and they're, they're going to be very tough, and Oklahoma has to play them in Stillwater, which will obviously be quite a challenge, but they're losing a bit on defense and they're losing a bit along their offensive line. So I, I'm not quite as high on Oklahoma state as a lot of people are a lot of people nationally, but I think they are the clear cut number two. I will say that. And then behind them, it's TCU is going to have a good defense and probably a pretty decent offense. I think they're a pretty clear cut number three. And then behind them, it's probably Kansas state. I think those four teams are probably going to be very competitive football teams but the only two in the big 12 that i would say are really in the hunt to maybe crash the playoff would be oklahoma and oklahoma state and texas i think they're still a year away especially at the quarterback position i know a lot of people are big on shane bouchelle but i'm still not quite sold in him so you know we'll have to see with texas i think within the rest of the roster texas is going to be pretty damn good but i don't think they're quite ready to crash the national party yet so i think in the near future at least this season i think oklahoma is rightfully the clear-cut favorite in the big 12 getting into the week two showdown against ohio state in columbus what are ou fans expecting from that game i don't think too many people are very confident in a win but at the same time I don't think a loss is a death sentence for Oklahoma. So as far as playoff hopes are concerned, I mean, we've seen the playoff committee reward people for playing in big games in the non-conference schedule. And this is certainly a great example of that. And if Oklahoma is able to keep it close this time around, certainly closer than last time around, then I think most people are hopeful that Oklahoma can run the table and you know, crash maybe the three or the fourth seed in the playoff. Yeah, I think if anything, the committee has rewarded teams for scheduling those type of games. And you even saw OU get some love last year late in the season with their schedule due to Ohio State and Houston being so good. It wasn't a possibility that they would make it over Ohio State, but you at least saw the committee rewarding that. So I'm with you. I think that if OU or even Ohio State lose this game, that it won't be the end of their playoff hopes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my my personal prediction is that Oklahoma loses to Ohio State, runs the table, wins the uh, Big 12 championship in what is potentially a rematch against Oklahoma State and Dallas, which I'm not entirely sure as a fan how I'm going to feel about all of that. But, uh, and you know, probably end up winning that game, and I think probably – getting the four seed in the playoff and then probably losing to Alabama in the uh, first round. Yeah, and I think making the playoff with a first-year head coach and losing to Alabama, that's not the worst thing in the world. That would be a pretty good season for them. As far as the Big 12 goes, you mentioned the possibility of a rematch in the Big 12 title game. How do fans feel about how the Big 12 is handling business right now? Because it feels like 
I mean, the Big 12 is always pretty shaky, but this feels like this is pretty bad even for the Big 12 standards. I mean, I don't think people are too thrilled with anything that's happening with the Big 12. I mean, that's that's not just at Oklahoma either. I mean, it's – I playing a championship game with 10 schools in a round-robin schedule, it it's just nonsensical. I mean, it, I – but I kind of see why it's justified. You know, it's going to make a bit of money and, you know, there's that 13th data point argument and all that, but it's just stupid. Honestly. I mean, I, you're going to have a rematch with someone, no matter what. I mean, you could theoretically have the same matchup two weeks in a row. If West Virginia, for example, has a good season and ends up playing Oklahoma the week after playing them the final week of the season. I mean, there's, there's going to be a possibility for that kind of thing every single year. I mean, it's, I mean, I, until it expands or breaks up or something, I just don't, I mean, it, it looks bad, honestly. Well, if you want to follow any of the craziness that is always Big 12 football or what should be a pretty exciting season for the Oklahoma Sooners, make sure you go to Crimson and Cream Machine com to keep up with them leading up into that Ohio State game and follow along with the Sooners after that game as well and go to Twitter and follow them at CC Machine and if you want to follow Jack on Twitter you can do so at J Larry Shields Jack thanks for joining the show and dropping knowledge on OU football thanks for having me on man I enjoyed it that's going to do it for this edition of the Hangout in the Holy Land want to thank you all for listening to the show and the third installment of the opponent preview series for 2017 and keep an eye locked to your podcast feed because i'll have three more episodes for you guys next week previewing unlv rutgers and maryland so make sure to subscribe on apple podcasts hang out in the holy land or go to soundcloud.com slash land grant holy land and find the opponent preview series and all the other podcasts that we do here at land grant on the feed there you can also drop me a line on Twitter at Dubsco and let me know what you think of these previews and any of the other podcasts we do. Please, feedback is always appreciated. Until next week, though, my name is Colton Denning. This is the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks. <laughs>